0: Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven
1: books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Part of what I like about teaching MBAs is that all of these people have to kind of get along and we get to form teams of people of varied backgrounds and interests and uh, and let them work together, and that, that part is fun.
0: As you go up in the organization, then, you know, by definition, the CEO needs to have general skills, yeah? They may need to have specialized in one area, but you, you by definition, you need to understand all of those areas.
1: I read a sad story once about a guy who got a master's degree in puppetry. Worked as a, as a, a teacher and he wanted to like pursue his passion. And so he, he got this master's and went tens of thousands of dollars into debt. And then on the other end, discovered there were no jobs for master puppeteers.
0: So Ryan, I've got a really interesting question for you, mate. Good, let's it. Right. Why do you exist?
1: Oh, what, it's going to be what? one of those
0: podcasts. Huh? <laughs> All right. What what's what's what is the purpose
1: of your job? Of oh, my job? I thought you meant of my life. <laughs> my.
0: Well, exi- I already know the answer to that one, mate. <laughs> and you don't want to hear it, Hear what I would say,
1: but I don't, I don't know that justifying my job's going to be that much easier than justifying my existence. <laughs>
0: No, so we, we've had a pickle in, okay, from Clive Hurst. Pickle is,
1: why does Ryan exist?
0: <laughs> well, no, you're an expert on this, so oh, okay. I thought it would be good in asking you. So Clive Hurst wrote into to us with a pickle. And by the way, for anybody that doesn't know, a pickle is a business problem that they, they have. This is more careers advice, I guess, than a business problem, uh, but happy to, happy to deal with it. And basically his question is, should I invest in an MBA? And given the fact that this is what
1: you teach, I thought you would be a good person to ask. I mean, maybe a good person, maybe not. So when you told me we were going to be talking about this, I looked up one of my favorite quotes. This is from the um, author Upton Sinclair. And it says, uh, it is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it. Um, and so while I've got some insider perspective as a, an MBA professor, um, so I'm a a marketing professor at a business school and I teach almost exclusively MBAs and I can provide perspective from that. I I do want to like be very upfront with my bias. I, I have a, a strong interest in MBA programs continuing and so I'll, I'll be as honest as I can be, but also, you know, um, my first bit of advice for Clive is to don't just listen to MBA professors. If you are wondering whether an MBA is for you, there's a lot of good information out there and a lot of differences of opinion. And so I would, I would encourage anybody who's considering this uh, as a step to get multiple perspectives on this. I'll I'll provide my own as well as I can, but don't trust me by yourself.
0: And I would extend this a bit further because as I, as I thought about this, I was then thinking, yeah, if a member of your team, so you may not be, dear listener, ex- thinking to themselves, should I get an MBA? But it made me did it did make me think. So, if a member of my team came to me as the leader and said, "I'm thinking of doing an MBA, should I do that?" What would I say? Or somebody that you know, you know, what would you what would you do or say basically? So, I don't think this is just for people that are uh, looking to be MBAs. I think it. You could take the wider context as well of just further education, basically.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're going to start off talking about MBAs, but I think that that you and I agreed. A lot of what we're going to say would apply to somebody deciding whether to go to law school or whether to even go to get an undergraduate degree. So we'll focus on MBA, but yeah, a lot of these questions will apply. And, And that's where I want to start, is by encouraging someone who's thinking about an MBA or any graduate program to ask themselves some questions about what they want. So, like, yeah. what what are your long term goals? Why are you doing you? it? And there are several. Uh, some people use an MBA as a chance to pivot in their careers so if they've been working in one area uh, and then they really want to go start working in another area. So, you know, if you were an engineer and you really start to want to work in finance, or you know, if you were uh, in HR and you want to start working in marketing, uh, that can be a hard jump to make on its own, and so some people use an MBA to do that. Yeah, Some people are looking for you know, a, a track to get into management roles, and a lot of those still require some kind of graduate degree, usually an MBA. Some people are in it for the education. I will suggest it's, that's a relatively small percentage who just really want to know about business and how business operates and, and how they can work. But we do, like I get some joint degree program students so we have people who are getting an MBA and a master's in public health or an MBA and a medical doctorate degree and so for those people I think that they do kind of want a theoretical knowledge of how business works so that they'll be better able to do their primary job as a public health official or as a a doctor.
0: Maybe I could start by asking you a just a, a few basic questions. Yeah. And So, I mean, how long does a base, an MBA last? What yeah. type of things would you cover? Why have an MBA if you've then got sort of more specialized programs?
1: Very good questions. So the traditional MBA program lasts two years. Um, so right. you generally start in the fall. And then um, over the summer, you do an internship with a company. And then you come back, and you do another round of classes, and you're done in April or May. So that's traditional. But there have been all kinds of variants of that that have grown up. So um, most schools will now do a one-year flavor of that, a one-year MBA program. And so for that, you start in usually April, and you do your first year of classes over the summer. So it's kind of like a compressed, intense summer of classes. And then you do your second year as a typical MBA student. So the advantage of that is that it's just a year that you're not working instead of the two right. years. Disadvantage of that is it generally does not come with a, that internship, which can be important, especially for people who are looking to transition across careers. But um, it's also kind of a, a leg up kind of right. starting in with a company before you actually sign with them. Uh, and then there are other formats too. So, some, so I teach an evening format, which I think lasts between three to five years and is just taught in the evening. So you get to keep your day job. Um, there's executive or modular formats where it'll be mostly on kind of weekends and then a few evenings. So there there are lots of different flavors of it. But generally speaking, it's like a master's degree where it's two years. Right. In terms of what's covered, it is a management degree, which means it's supposed to be a general purpose degree to allow people to serve in management roles within a... Firm. So although you tend to specialize, so you might take a more marketing classes or more finance classes, one of the hallmarks of an MBA is that it, it is general. So everybody goes into an MBA, has to take a little bit of marketing, a little bit of operations, a little bit of accounting, a little bit of finance. And the idea is that as you're kind of more senior in the organization, you should have that global perspective and training sure. so that you can understand what pe- where people are coming from and what they do. So I, I teach the introductory marketing class. Which means given the kind of the percentages of student interest at, at Emory, I'm mostly teaching finance and consulting students, which for me is, is fun. I, like, I, I kind of enjoy getting mildly hostile finance students thinking <laughs> marketing is a waste of time on the first day. And then by the end of the semester, I've convinced most of them that it can help them do their jobs better, even if they're not working in marketing.
0: Maybe you're doing some good for humanity in converting some finance people to to marketing thinking. Maybe,
1: or, or even if I can just like, can I round off the edges a little bit?
0: Let me ask you another question because I, I wrote a load of questions down before we started this. Obviously, why bother with it? If I go back to my personal background, the good thing that I managed to do was because I was working at a British Telecom, so a bloody large organisation. I managed to move around the organisation so I started off in sales then I went to marketing then I went to customer training then I went to customer service and I learned different disciplines as I as I went. Yeah. yeah. Now clearly I know that not everybody works for large organisations. But why bother? What what
1: what would you say are the key advantages? Sure. So one is that for a long time and we may be reaching the Maybe may be reaching a turning point on this, although it's tough to see, but for a long time, a lot of organizations required it. So just like a lot of organizations require a bachelor's degree in order to start in various positions, a lot of firms will require an MBA or or some kind of graduate degree in order to attain certain positions within the organization. We could have a debate about whether that is wise, um, whether that is and what do you what do you what do you think? I'm not a big fan of hard rules around that. Personally, I think that there's been a lot of degree inflation where people are kind of getting degrees as a way of signaling that they're they're worthy of being considered when the degree has nothing to do with the job. We're kind of creating some arbitrary barriers for people participating. In the
0: economy. Yeah, I, I read a I read a post on LinkedIn um, a couple of weeks ago, and it talked about a paper ceiling. Yeah, which I've never really heard of before. In, in other words, are you rejecting, particularly in the labour market that we've got, are you rejecting a load of people or people aren't applying for things because they don't have the qualifications?
1: It, and importantly, the qualifications may not be necessary to do the job. Right. Like I've got no problem with qualifications on a job, but you know, I, I heard that something like um, more than fifty percent of the the letter carriers in the U.S. have college degrees. Right. Some huge percentage of bartenders have college degrees, and again, I'm not I'm not opposed to college degrees. You're not opposed do, to but, bar, you
0: know, bartenders.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. <laughs> and I don't know that most bars are like screening on that saying, don't apply for our bartender job if you don't have a, a undergraduate degree, but there's a lot of that that happens in other businesses where it's like, hey, I sure. don't even apply for this job unless you have an undergraduate degree. And, and for some jobs, that's absolutely appropriate. But I think for many companies that just become kind of the default, we're going to ask for that regardless. And I think also for some graduate level positions, like I think that there are some that say we need an MBA or equivalent and sometimes that may be absolutely appropriate, but for sometimes it's not. So to your question of why why do people do this or why is it worth it? That's one of the reasons why historically is that some people would see it as they needed to. Um, in other cases, it's not strictly necessary, but it is kind of a fast track. So you could get there without an MBA, but if you get the MBA, it's just gonna be faster and easier and smoother. There's already a path there as opposed to having to blaze your own trail up.
0: Is there evidence then of this working in the, in the sense of the, I, and I, I, I did look up some stats earlier.
1: So is it financially worthwhile?
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, some, some of the things that I'm sure you learn are more life things, but do people with MBAs get high salaries?
1: So the answer is yes, but. So in general, on average, as far as I know, based on the last statistics I've seen, uh, MBAs Degrees tend to pay off. So you tend to more than recoup your investment and end up making more money over your lifetime um, with the MBA. And so it, it is a finan- good financial investment. But just like with undergraduate degrees, that's also true of undergraduate degrees, but there's like there's huge variation in there. So I was talking with a, a professor uh, at the, the school where I got my uh, my graduate degree, where I got my PhD, and he said, uh, so it's a, uh, the Kellogg School at Northwestern, he said that when he started as a professor, you know, that had been like 40 years earlier, some huge proportion of their MBA students went to go and work in advertising. And at the time that I was there, and now, it's essentially zero. Zero MBAs go to work in advertising. And the reason is that salaries have not kept up. So it, it doesn't make financial sense to get a very expensive MBA and then to go and work in advertising because so many people want to work in advertising because it's fun and sexy that that depresses the wages so they can pay mm-hmm. dirt and people will still do it. And so they do. And so it doesn't make financial sense to get an MBA to go and, and do that. You need to go into this with that in mind. There are certain jobs within organizations where an MBA is not going to pay off. Even if on average it does, because those jobs don't pay enough to justify an expensive degree and they, they can be expensive. So I would be very clear. It's also true that like certain programs don't. So if you get an MBA from kind of a, a, a lower ranked program or one that doesn't have a lot of prestige, then that may not pay off as quickly. You know, if you go if you go to Harvard or Columbia or Kellogg, you might have to go into $100,000 of debt to to get that degree. They're very expensive. But they also tend to pay off relatively quickly based on the jobs people get. Other programs, you could pay relatively little to get the MBA, but the programs are not kind of as respected or the connections aren't as strong. And so- But
0: I presume they must be equivalent.
1: Equivalents to MBA degrees? Well,
0: no. Well, the standard of them. So somebody coming out from Harvard, there's a certain, there must, I presume, there must be some type of body that makes sure that all
1: MBAs are equal. Uh, no, they're, they're all accredited, which means that there's a minimum threshold. Right. But it's not the case. Now, this is, a, this is a big debate in higher education. There's the argument that what universities do, and I'll include graduate programs in that too, is take clay and then mold it into something amazing. So we could take anybody and drop them into Harvard. And then over the course of four years or drop him into Harvard business school. And over the course of two years, we'd create something amazing out of that. Right. There's also the, the more cynical argument, which is that essentially these, these universities act as kind of screeners. Right. So you're not getting into Harvard unless you're amazing. And so the fact that you graduated from Harvard doesn't necessarily mean you learned anything but the fact that you got in means that you're a safe bet. And right. so I I tend to fall somewhere in the middle. I think that there is this screener thing that's going on and I think that, that that's real. I also like for for selfish reasons to think that we're doing something um, with these students in the time that we have them. But yeah, I don't I don't discount the other argument.
0: I can absolutely see if you're if you've got a degree of whatever whatever you may be. If you've gone to Oxford or Cambridge, yeah, then that's going to be classed as a as a better degree than if you went to wherever it may be. Yeah. In fact, I'm just about to argue against myself to a certain extent because I was remembering when our kids did that; they Oxford or Cambridge weren't necessarily the best the best universities for the degree that they wanted. Yes. So, if you looked at the um, tables, then you know if my son took psychology and yep. my daughter took zoology, it wasn't. Uh, yeah. Anyway, you get the idea.
1: Yeah. No. And the, even so, even even though MBAs are general purpose degrees, there are differences in programs. So Kellogg, for example, is known historically for marketing strength, and there are other programs that are known for finance and for consulting and other things. So yeah, there there are some variations. In and around that
0: right right okay that makes
1: sense ryan what's the scariest movie you've ever seen uh i saw an old vincent price movie called house of the long shadows when i was a kid and it kept me awake for days and if you want to be kept
0: awake for days the one that scared me the most was the intuitive customer podcast
1: that's now available on YouTube. I I want to change my answer. That's actually the scariest thing I've seen too. (laughs) Absolutely. So
0: if you are interested in getting scared and watching Ryan and I attempt to do a podcast on YouTube, then just search for the Intuitive Customer Podcast on YouTube and subscribe, won't you? We look forward to seeing you there. And is there any truth in the rumor about People tend to do more MBAs when there's a recession.
1: Uh, yeah, that's that's not a rumor at all. That is cold hard fact. So we're we're a little bit vampiric in business schools, and that we're always kind of hoping for a recession because that's good. That's not true. We're not hoping for a recession. Um, but yeah, though, no, when when the you can think about it from an opportunity cost perspective. So if you've got a great job and you've got lots of opportunities to move around within your job, taking two years off. Is a huge sacrifice. Like that's yep. two years you're not earning an income, two years you're not getting kind of work experience, two years you're not moving within your organization. When the economy is really hot, people are less excited about dropping out of that to go to school for a while. On the other hand, when the economy has cooled down, when it's harder to find jobs, when you really are looking to differentiate yourself, then yes, that is when people are more willing to. Go back to school for a while, and uh, sometimes wait out the recession, or um, look to distinguish themselves a little bit more from their peers. So yeah, that's that's not a rumor at all. That's true.
0: I'm asking all these questions because I'm genuinely interested, actually, and I've, I've um uh, I've not got an MBA myself. Um, I'm but I'm not going to get one either because uh, I'm just never say correct. never.
1: Colin. Okay.
0: <laughs> never say never. Correct. But, but what what's the what does the average person look like? Is there an average? I mean, is there I mean, is it age profile? Is it background? Is it what
1: is it? So that'll also depend on the program. The best MBA programs tend to require several years of work experience. They want you to actually have been out in the workforce to have that experience, to ideally have managed some people. And then when you come in, you'll be able to build on that expertise. So there are programs where you can go in with zero work experience, just kind of go straight from undergrad, but those tend to be like less prestigious, less, less well accepted, that kind of thing. So that, you know, you're still getting some, some training in that, but yeah, usually, so usually the students I teach, um, uh, you know, have been out three to five years. So they're in their, their mid to late twenties. Yeah, it, when I started teaching, I was a little bit older than that. But, you know, I'd, I'd worked for a while and then I got my PhD. But I was only, you know, five or six years older than my MBA students at the time. And so I think they kind of felt like I was a mascot for them. And, and those days are long gone. I remembered that transition when it was clearly no longer us. And now it was like a, a you versus us. Like I was, I had aged out of that cohort. But I still, I also teach um, occasionally executive MBAs who who tend to go back in their you know 40s and 50s to sharpen up some of those skills. So I've, I've taught people in all those age ranges. In terms of what they do, there's a variety of backgrounds. The joke is that MBAs attract both poets and quants. And so both of these are together. So you've got like on the poet side, you've got like the, the people who are more interested in kind of management and HR and marketing. And then you've got the quants who are interested in finance and operations and part of what i like about teaching mbas is that all of these people have to kind of get along and we get to form teams of people of varied backgrounds and interests and uh, and let them work together and that, that part is fun
0: and i would imagine that's a big part of it as well isn't it i mean i would imagine the networking that you get with with people and probably making friends for life and if you're in business then you know all of that come
1: into play, basically. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a big part of it. And then, you know, your alumni network and uh, all of that. uh, Very, very important part of it.
0: So let me ask you another question, um, something that has fascinated me for years. Yeah. I always remember when I first started work and there was a guy there that was, um, I think he had a master's or whatever, anyway long and short of it, is he didn't have a bloody ounce of common sense. <laughs> so Wait till he, I introduce you to some PhDs. So highly intelligent, highly intelligent, but I wouldn't have had him on my team Yeah, because he, he just couldn't implement anything. And what seemed to me as being blindingly obvious, he was oblivious to. I
1: presume you've come across that. MBAs tend to be a little bit harder nosed than the average graduate student. So one of the things that I like about teaching MBAs, even as opposed to undergraduates, is that they push back. Um, So MBAs on average, like they, they will want to know like, okay, well, what, what do we do with this? Like, how do we use this? Sure. It can make teaching a class like customer behavior, where we delve into the psychology can make that challenging. When I teach that to undergrads, They just accept it. And there's a lot of like kind of nodding and note-taking. And then when you teach that same stuff to MBAs, they're like, well, this is just theory. Like, how can I apply this in my job? Sure. And I
0: guess that's the difference between them having been in the work environment.
1: Yeah, they realize that, you know, they're going to have to answer to a boss at some point. And so theory is great, but like, what can I actually do with this? Do we still run into people with no kind of street smarts? Absolutely. Yeah, like for sure. But I think there are fewer of them than there are people who might get like a master's degree in engineering, for example, and then go and work in something not to say anything negative about our engineers.
0: (laughs) Um, Last question from me, where do you see the, where do you think the future lays with all of this? I mean, is there given the changes in the workforce, given the, you know, the hybrid work in and everything else that's happening. I'm just interested in where you think it all, if we were in 10 years time, what would we be talking about?
1: Yeah, there's no question that demand for the MBA degree has been softening. So it's not as strong as it was, we're getting fewer applications than we had before. There's question as to how much of that is driven by a strong economy, and how much of it is kind of a permanent decline. So We'll find out during the next recession whether, whether it bounces back or whether we're on kind of a, a decline. I do have a sense that this generalist approach, like we want people who kind of know a, a little bit about a lot of things. I'm getting the feeling that maybe that is being less valued over time, that instead what firms might be looking for is more specialized education. So you, you see there's been a, a rather sharp increase in the number of, Specialized master's degrees, master's programs. Right. And so we're developing some of those right now at Emory. But whereas before you might get an MBA and then specialize in analytics or an MBA and specialize in finance or an MBA and specialize in marketing, you could still do that. And a lot of people do. But now there are also a lot of programs where you can just get like a master's in marketing or a master's in finance or a master's in analytics. And that means you're, you're having to take fewer classes kind of at the more general level, which I think has some drawbacks. But it does mean that you get that depth, which some firms really seem to value. So that that's where I assume that in 10 years we'll be further along that path. I assume that the MBAs, will, MBA programs will still be there, but will tend to be a little bit smaller and that proportionally we'll see more of these specialized master's programs. I don't see this degree inflation going away anytime soon. I think that at one point, having an undergraduate degree was really a mark of someone having being very studious and, and really having sacrificed a lot to do that. And then at some point, it became kind of standard. Right? We could go back even further. At one point, somebody finishing high school was a optional, and it was a big deal. Now everybody has to finish high school, and then getting a, an undergraduate degree was kind of a, a demarcation we're kind of past that now where for a lot of people, this is kind of baseline people consider part of their basic education. And then what we see now is a lot more people pursuing master's degrees, I think in part to set themselves. apart.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I know my daughter, my youngest daughter, I mean, that's what she did at the end of the day was to take a master's simply because it was, it was going to differentiate her in the, in the field. That was in zoology.
1: So the, the risk is that at some point that becomes almost baseline and now people need to get two master's degrees or need to get a PhD. It
0: does make me think about, though, your comments about specialism. It That worries me a little because when I started off with my career, one of the things that I worked out was the danger is, is if you, if you specialise in one area, that limits you in that one into that one area whether yeah. it's you know finance marketing sales customer service whatever it may be but as you go up in the organization then you know by definition the ceo needs to have general skills yeah they may need to have specialized in one area but you, you by definition you need to understand all of those areas because you're the boss and you need to understand all those areas so i always remember when I was back at PT talking about one of the senior positions was what they called them general managers, which goes, yeah, you need a general experience to become a general manager. And that was one of the things that sort of set me off on my course to gain more, more skills. It would worry me if someone, unless they really thought that there was a future that they just specialized in, one area and it's not at the beginning to be honest with you mate it's when you get to 40 50 years old and you've been doing it 20 years and that's then becomes the the challenge because you it feels like you're caught between the devil and the deep blue sea you've been good in this area you've had enough of that area you now want to move to another area your experience and everything else doesn't enable you to do that I don't think I could do what I do now if I hadn't had that more generalist experience in each of those, each of those areas. So no, that's my two No, I think bills. it's
1: a really good point. Like I, I think that there's a, a trade-off being made here. I, I understand the appeal of specialized yeah. education and of, of really kind of zeroing in, and I understand what firms like to to hire that. But I agree, like I think it's, it makes me very nervous for someone who has a, a long-term career plan within business organizations to, you know, not have received formal training in how to read a balance sheet or, you know, have gotten some basic accounting training. And on the flip side, like it makes me very nervous for people who go into finance and consulting who don't understand the basics of marketing, or don't understand like the purpose of a firm is to serve customers. And so if you don't understand who those customers are and what they want, then you're just like walking around blindfolded. And I think I feel like it's easy, it's getting easier for people to avoid some of that core instruction if they, they don't want to get it. Or sure. Don't yeah. It sure. No, I, I will say, to your point, it is possible to pick up some of these skills uh, outside of the classroom, right? So, so your education on, on these general management principles happened as you were working because you were seeking out that training and seeking out those experiences. So it, all is not lost like if you choose to get a special no, no. master's degree in finance I think there's a career path for that but I would encourage you to you know spend some time with the sales group and spend some time with marketing yeah. and with no, HR. I agree. And-,
0: and the other big thing for me is just reading books. Yeah, that too. Just re- reading management books or uh, you know business books and and trying to keep up with what's happening and everything else and just challenging challenging yourself so let, let's take a step back let's go back to clive and maybe you could summarize so
1: clive is saying should i invest in an mba and the answer is probably know what it is that you want to do afterwards and make sure that like the salaries check out with what it is that you want to do I, I read a sad story once about a guy who got a master's degree in puppetry oh and this is not an mba right so you, you Worked as, a, as a, a teacher, and he wanted to like pursue his passion. And so he, he got this mastery. And went tens of thousands of dollars into debt to do this this mastery. And then on the other end, discovered there were no jobs for master puppeteers. And so he ended up working in the same school districts that he left before, only now as a substitute teacher, making significantly less. And with a massive debt. There's less risk. Yes, only with massive debt. There's less risk of that if you're getting a business degree. But it's still risk, like know what it is that you want to do um, and make sure that makes sense. And then also, it depends on where you go and what you study. Keep your eyes open about that. And then finally, talk to a non-business school professor and get their opinions too. Yeah, good
0: idea. Good. Well, we wish you the best of luck, Clive, in your decision and uh, let us know how it goes.
1: Um, And we look forward to talking to you. Well, next next week, week. Colin will be forced to justify his existence. (laughs) So look forward to that.
0: Funny enough, we're skipping next week. We're (laughs) going to go straight on to the following week. (laughs) Thanks a lot, everyone. And see you next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com podcasts to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.